0: Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, the college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, October 3rd, we are studying Deuteronomy 32, verses 19 to 38. Moses' song continues. In today's text, we hear Moses sing of how the Lord will respond with judgment at the time of Israel's coming apostasy. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Harrison Goodman. Pastor Goodman serves as the content executive for the Lutheran Youth Organization, Higher Things. Pastor Goodman, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you.
0: Let's talk a little context, Pastor Goodman. We're in the middle of Moses' song. We don't get quite the end of it today. There's a little bit more tomorrow. What should we know about Moses' song and anything from the book of Deuteronomy that'll help us with today's text?
1: All right, so the context of what's about to happen I, I think is probably really, really helpful. The Lord is speaking to Moses and saying, you're gonna die, uh, Joshua is gonna take over, and everything's going to fall apart, so teach them to sing this song. Um, this this is sort of his, his last sermon uh that, that he gets to leave with the people uh that that will hopefully uh be a thing that they can recall in the midst of the days to come it and based on even just sort of the text that you uh alluded to it's it's i i just i really appreciate you having me on for the 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 texts
0: okay you're welcome that's right <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is one of those texts where it, there is a lot of the Lord's judgment, but you've got some New Testament context for us that's, that's going to help us. Uh, this is, you know, you mentioned Moses' last sermons, as I, I jokingly called it, Moses' swan, swan song mm-hmm. here. I mean, he's, this is his last song to put into the memory of the people. Maybe just, uh, again, to, to help us refresh our, our memories coming back from the weekend, the importance of, of singing songs for memory, the teaching aspect of songs, how does that play into what Moses is doing here? Oh, it's so
1: important. I mean, we even sort of recognize it, just even in that, that like, you know, your ABCs because of the song Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star. Um, it, it's tied to, to memory, that, that part of what our Lord did when he made us, uh, he made us to worship but part of how he made us to worship, I, I really have to believe, has to do with song, that, that there's always been hymnody in the church. And it, it's not just to, to sort of um, feel the emotion from it, but but it's also to catechize, it's to teach. And so Luther would also set his catechism to, to song, to hymn, uh, and it really just it sticks with you.
0: That's right. So we've got a song that Moses intends to stick with the people Here we're getting the middle section, verses 19 through 38 of Deuteronomy 32. This is the text. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth and its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors the sword shall bereave, and indoors terror. For young man and woman alike, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. I would have said, I will cut them to pieces, I will wipe them from human memory, had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, Our hand is triumphant, it was not the Lord who did all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two have put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine, and recompense, for the time when their foot shall slip, and the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people, and have compassion on his servants, when he sees that their power is gone, and there is none remaining, bond or free. Then he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. That's our text for today. That is Deuteronomy 32, verses 19 to 38. So Pastor Goodman, just as a reminder, the first verse we read, the Lord saw it and spurned them. In the previous verses, Moses was describing how the people were going to worship demons who were not actually gods, how they would forget the God who had given them birth, the rock that had bore them. Uh, that's where we're picking up. Take us into to these first couple of verses of our text today.
1: Right. Um, so obviously, this is a catchy tune. It's just a real earworm, and everybody's just going to really enjoy singing it. Uh, but right. it's, it's, just, it's, it's first and foremost a, a call to recognize what it is to have a God that it's actually supposed to be a gift to have a God. And really inside of all of this, we we get to see what happens when we pick the wrong ones. Uh, We we see in verse 20 that that, uh, God will see what happens and then hide my face from them. Uh, this is this is sort of the opposite of the ironic benediction that that we have. You know, the Lord uh, lift up his his countenance upon you and give you peace. Uh, there is there's the the idea that when the Lord is is facing you, when his countenance is is towards you, there is there is blessing. Uh, and, and when we turn our faces away from God, you see it even when when Cain's face fell after uh, having a, an incident with a rock and uh, his brother Abel. Uh, that that there's a, a a separation from God that never actually works peace. Uh, But the hiding of God's face doesn't start with God. Uh, it, it starts with man. When when the Lord is is going to hide his face, that starts with man. But when when Cain's face would be lifted back up towards God, uh, when Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes, hiding their faces and and everything else from God, it, it starts with with our sin. But God seeks us out to to restore our continent, our our, our countenance, excuse me, uh, towards Him, uh, so that inside of all of these things, we have a, a God who is willing to to sort of actually let us see what it is to to exist without him, but then to pursue us anyway. This this idea that uh, the, the Lord would start by hiding his face from them, it can't be separated from the God who speaks to the very same sinners. Uh, I, I will lift up my face upon you. Um, and, and so when we start to talk about this, the why becomes really, really, really important. Uh, the, the what had happened to, to make the, the Lord hide his face from the people.
0: Well, just the the image of the Lord looking at them, of shining his face upon them within the context of this song. Earlier in the song, the Lord reminded, or yeah, the Lord reminded Israel through Moses that Israel is the apple of his eye. And we talked about how, you know, that's an indication that the Lord's looking at his people, his face is toward them. And so here the, the hiding of his face, you said the, the why is really important. Tell us the why, Why what's so what is the why that's so important?
1: Uh, they have made me jealous with what is no God. Uh, they have provoked me to anger with their idols. you see this is this is such a thing where if God were to actually leave his, his face set toward his people, how could he respond but in utter condemnation and hell? Uh, that, that God would even sort of remove his His face from this, that they, this is so ugly, that if I'm going to look at it, you're going to go to hell. And he's got a better plan in, in store. So we'll get to start to see what it is as we kind of go further down the text. I, I said I was really grateful to come for such a gospely text, and I actually kind of mean it. There is, despite sort of the, the tone and tenor of this text, there is an awful, awful lot of promise just in watching sort of God's patience unfold with the extreme uh, I- idolatry in front of him. Because we're not talking about your, your sort of run of the mill idols. Uh, these are these are chasing. Uh, Israel is chasing the no gods, the the, the made up gods. These are not even idols that are made out of creation. So uh, it, it's actually even further away that these are demons masking masquerading as as, as the as as gods. It's one thing. I, I, I hate to say it because it's still a, a grave sin against the first commandment. But it's one thing to look at a good gift that God give, gave you and say, this is so good that I'm going to fear, love, and trust in it um, above all things. That's, that's terrible because you're, you're you're saying thank you to the gift instead of to the giver. But it's at least of a creation that God intends to work good from. So God gives you daily bread, all of which I will make idols out of. And he still gives me that daily bread, knowing the sinner that I am, and sends forth his son to bear my sins upon the cross, and calls me away from the idolatry. Not not because idolatry is good, but because all the things I'm putting my my trust in in this world they are good. God wants to work good through them, but they cannot save me. But Israel is chasing after no gods. These are utterly made up. They he, they are looking for for good out of something that is 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 never even promised to work good at all. It, it's one thing to sort of say. Money is not an evil thing. The love of money is the root of all evil. Um, but it's it's another thing to say this made up thing in my mind is going to replace reality. What good can come from that? Especially when you start to see the darkness that follows it.
0: So the the no gods of verse twenty one. That is the that's what Israel is worshiping. That's what was mentioned in the previous text in verse seventeen. This is provoking the Lord to anger, and so he describes his response at the end of verse 21, and it, it's fitting as they are making the Lord jealous with their no gods, so the Lord will respond by making them jealous with those who are no people. So what's what's going on in the second part of verse 21? Right, it's, it's an important connection. It's a foolish nation, a, a nation that has no
1: wisdom, uh, a nation that has no fear of the Lord, a nation that has no faith. Um, you see this again um, in the New Testament. This is sort of language that uh, that, that Peter plays with. Uh, in First Peter 2.10 he speaks and says, once you were not a people, you were a no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, the, the distinction here, when, when we sort of talk about uh, the, the other, uh, it's not that they are somehow greater sinners than Israel, but simply that they're apart from faith. Uh, so, so basically here, the Lord says, if this is the people that you want to be, then you will be a part of that. And you get to see just how futile it is. Uh, if you're going to be um, given over, uh, you're going to be then provoked to jealousy with, with no people. Um, you, you actually get to start to see how these things are going to work. And so the Lord doesn't even do it to, to sort of abandon us to them, to, to abandon Israel, but he says, I will do it with a purpose to provoke them to anger. I, I want them to actually see that these things are, are apart from wisdom, apart from the Lord, apart from hope and peace and help and, and well, life, uh, they're, they're apart from Christ. And that's important because if if this is the road that you're going to run down, it's going to end in utter, complete destruction. And that is not the Lord's will for the people. He even expresses it here simply in saying, I'm actually doing this with a purpose. He doesn't just sort of dust his hands off and walk away from the situation. They have abandoned me. Fine. I'll get somebody else. But here he even says, like, even even in my wrath, I'm going to to work a purpose here. Uh, I actually want jealousy. And he speaks about it as if it's a good thing for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, he says, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments, who treasure my commandments. Uh, the, the Lord actually wants us to, to be as zealous for him as he is for us. And that's, that's a gift that, that should not be overlooked. Uh, when we get to start to see how the Lord will, will sort of work with the, the people who are no people, um, even here, you, you, again, just by, by having the gift of the New Testament, we get to see that, again, the no people don't just exist as a means to make Israel sad or angry either. But even this is a, 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 a beginning of that which will call all nations to faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.
0: So you mentioned the New Testament. How does the New Testament pick up this language? It, it speaks
1: about uh, again in First Peter. Once you are not a people, once you are a no people, but now you are a people of God, uh, and, and it defines it uh, in terms of receiving mercy. That's the thing that makes you the people of God. It's it's not a question of of sin or, or of of a racial identity, uh, but uh, of of has Jesus died for you? Is there hope here? It's it's an important distinction to make, not only to, to pervert preserve justification, which has to be how we look at this. Because if in the Old Testament, um, we, we have a different God who who punishes us because we sin, but in the New Testament, we have a God who only punishes Jesus, but not us. What we have is, is a very, very different God, not a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But if we have a God who ultimately wants to see all sin born by the Christ who was crucified for all the world, then this has to be about Jesus too. Um, but it also lets us sort of avoid the pitfalls of, of speaking about people who are not us as as if they are somehow less than people. And this is a kind of language that as, as much as, as we have to rebel against, as much as we hate it, it has been used even under the name of God. To, to support racism to support awful things that that we have this idea of people and no people it's not in terms of who has committed the gravest sins or the most uh, horrible acts it's not in terms of, of race or skin color but simply in terms of is there hope for you in Christ Jesus our Lord
0: this, this language also in this verse particularly gets picked up by St. Paul in Romans chapter 10. How does, how does what he says in Romans chapter 10 using this verse fit into what you're saying?
1: Absolutely. This is actually showing um, the the idea that that even as God sort of works to, to create jealousy of all the people, um, he's doing it to call them back to faith. So Romans 10 is, is the, the, um, the text that mo- most of our listeners would recognize. You know, how are they going to hear unless somebody is sent to preach to them? And ultimately it would pick up, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they all not heard indeed? They have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. So the purpose in this is is not to abandon, but to call back to faith. Uh, And even as he does that, he, he reveals himself to the people who have not yet heard of him, that, that all of this drives towards the idea that, that the Lord would have all hear of his promises of mercy and, and draw near.
0: And, and that can't happen, to try to bring this full circle, that can't happen then when there's idolatry, these no gods, that can only happen with the Lord.
1: Right. The, the no gods can't conquer death. The no gods can't even provide daily bread. Like the no gods can't even give you the things of this world. They're utterly and completely empty. They lead to such awful destruction. You see it as they they get deeper and deeper. You see them even in, in places they'll, they'll sacrifice their own children to these false gods. Um, This is not even sort of how can I get mammon and power and and, and, and strength in this world, but it, it bleeds the people dry. And the, the point of this to, to again come full circle is it was Christ who was supposed to bleed for us, not us for false gods.
0: So with, with that in mind, this, you're already starting to, to bring Christ into the text, which is not surprising. The scriptures are about Christ and are constantly pointing to him. We, we see that in these first three verses. In verse 22, again, more, more great gospel language here, Pastor Goodman, the fire that's kindled by the Lord's anger burning to the depths of Sheol. Uh, Take us into that verse 22.
1: Amen. Come Lord Jesus. This is this is That's what right. we want to hear. I want there to be a great final fire of judgment because I know where I am. I, I, I rest in Christ, my Lord. The, the idea that uh, when we, we sort of speak about the end of the world, we, we as Lutherans recognize that we don't have to sort of wonder where we're going. We don't have to sort of hope that things work out because we have done enough to outweigh our sins with the, the sort of cosmic scale of do-goodness and being niceness. Uh, but instead, we have been covered with with the Lamb of God, which cleanses us from all our sins. So that when we start to speak about the end of days, uh, again, we can go to Peter who, who, who writes to the people that there will be a day of, of fire and destruction and judgment where... We should be eager because then we get to come to the resurrection. We actually get to see burned up in the world all of the damage that sin is doing. We, we get to start to look forward to the new heavens and the new earth that are no longer burdened by the sins of this world. Because even if, even if everybody in this world would just all of a sudden make good choices, turn towards God and, and just rejoice in him, sin has still been so ground into the dust of this creation that there will be suffering in this world. There will be evil in this world because we cannot escape what has been uh, corrupted. And so we need a new one. Uh, this, is, this is actually, I, I, gotta, I gotta actually say amen, come Lord Jesus to the end of this because there has been a, a fire kindled by God's anger. He looks at his creation and he's not actually content to see us suffering and dying down here. I actually, I I want a God who looks down here and doesn't say, you know what, this is fine while the whole thing burns. Uh, I, I need a God who's who actually willing to sort of set forth something into action that will put an end to to all that is wrong. And my hope inside of this, it, it becomes all the more bold because I don't have to sort of find a way to explain it where everybody else is the one doing the wrong and I am the one doing the right, but I have to be the sinner that Jesus died for, just like Israel.
0: Well, and, and it is only when Jesus dies for the sinner, that a verse like this can provide hope? Because, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds great, and, and I, you're exactly right. This is how we should understand passages that, that talk about judgment upon sin and evil. We, we should want that. We want God to to be just and to put an end to all sin and evil, because we know that it hurts us, that the trouble is or the danger is, is when we start to think that we're not a part of that sin and evil. And that's where, you know, you get the prophet Amos, for example, who, who says, Woe to you who are looking for the day of the Lord. Why do you think it's going to be a good day for you? You're you're the sinner whom the Lord is coming to bring his justice against. I mean, how does how do those like on the one hand, yeah, Pastor Goodman, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, great. But on the other hand, well, I'm I'm the sinner. And the only thing I guess that, that ties that together then is like, well, then I got to be the one that Jesus died for, or it's, it's hopeless for me. It's only in the death of Jesus that, that I can pray come Lord Jesus.
1: Absolutely. And it's getting sort of, um, well, it, it's, 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 it's the mortification of the flesh. It's, it's the daily drowning in your baptism that actually gets us to, to start to confront this with a willingness and an eagerness uh, that, that it's not just sort of, you know, am I one of the ones who has caused the drama too, uh, but, but rather Lord Drown that. Like not, not someday drown that. Drown that this morning. I'm gonna make the sign of the cross and and recognize that in the waters of my baptism you've already united me to Christ's death. And so I can look forward to, to this certain hope that I will be united with him in his resurrection. Uh that, that this judgment is, is not a, a sort of a a put holy in the now, and it's not a judgment that's put holy in the not yet, but it's one that we meet again, holy and completely in Christ our Lord, so that when we confront it in the now, it is in the waters of our baptism, and our our repentance, our our not just our our turning away from sin, but our turning towards Christ, and an eager expectation of the last day to come, where, where we know that we will inherit the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The eagerness is never to actually see sinners consumed. God doesn't find an eager, uh, an eager desire to consume sinners. He has an eager desire to, to redeem us. Uh, he has an eager desire to bear the cross for us. And he has an eager desire for the new heavens and the new earth, even as we do, because there is something inside of us that has to die. Our hope though, is that that would be born on the cross.
0: Well, and I, I like the way that you said it. It's not that we want sinners to be consumed or that God wants sinners to be consumed. He wants sinners to be saved. But the, the way you save a sinner, and, and you said it there too, is that you, know, you have to kill the sinner. That's that's And that's what God does in baptism. You know, the, the language of, of St. Paul in Romans 6, that we've we've actually been put to death with Christ. I remember teaching that in Youth Confirmation one year in particular, and, and a young lady said, well, Pastor, that sounds really violent. Well, that's what you have to do to sinners. Is is sinners have to be put to death so that can God can raise to new life and and tying it to baptism, I really appreciate that because that that that's happened to me. And so that that this verse isn't just about me saying yes, God's going to take care of all the people that I hate. But, but instead, this verse is a reminder that, no, God's going to put the sinner in me to death so that I can live forever. Again, it puts it back to, to me and not just like, ha, I'm glad you got yours. That's not it at all.
1: Right. It's it's a recognition to just how quickly we are, are not Divorced from Israel, like we are very, very quickly to chase after the no gods too. Uh, we we were not going to waste any time in pursuing idolatry, and and so daily that sin has to be crucified with Christ daily. He has to pursue us and call us back to faith. Um, that that we would not sort of look at Israel and say, "I'm so much. I'm, I'm just. I'm glad that we have made such better choices." Uh, but instead, we can find ourselves inside of this behavior, and not not simply abandon all hope, but but find find forgiveness in Christ who would, who would again love us enough to, to let his name stand as holy even even in the face of all that we've done to pervert it. Uh, and that's going to start to carry us into the next couple of verses which are which are going to be important for this.
0: So, so it starts to carry us into the next couple of verses. In verses 23 and, and following, we hear about the disasters that the Lord will bring. We get hunger, plague, pestilence, beasts, all all kinds of, I mean, it's almost reminiscent of, of Egypt and even more of what the Lord does. Uh, take us into those coming verses.
1: Yeah, this is actually what he does to Egypt and in a lot of ways should be very familiar, and especially to the people who were just brought out of Egypt by Moses, who is teaching them this song. Um, that's, Sounds kind of familiar, but we can look back to the plagues that were sent upon Egypt and recognize this is not simply to sort of punish them for being bad Egyptians and worshiping no gods, but the Lord was identifying Himself as the one true living God to those who had not yet heard of Him. Uh, this is this is a call to um, to recognize the law that there is a God and it is not you and it is not the things you're making up. But the purpose of the law is not to leave the Egyptians in despair, but it's actually to, to call them to, to follow Israel out of Egypt. And in fact, many of the, the Egyptians did. There's this little verse in Exodus where the, the people who, who have been witnessing these awful, awful plagues simply pick up and follow Israel as they, they leave Egypt. And then you never hear from them again because they become Israel. They hear the word, they believe it. And their identity is found then in, in their faith. Uh, and, and so as, as the people who have abandoned the true God to chase after the, the false gods, the no gods, the, 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 the vapor gods, uh, they get to actually be confronted with the real God again. And this is not simply to, to, to hurt them or to, to punish them, but to discipline them, to call them back to faith. The, the Lord is not abandoning them inside of sending forth the plagues. In fact, he's trying to get their attention.
0: Yeah, and okay, so getting their attention, as you said, this is what happened to Egypt, and now the Lord's saying, I will do it to you, my people, Israel, but again, not just for the purpose of of punishing, but yet discipline, I think, is a great word, because he wants to get their attention, and he wants to get everyone's attention, and he talks about young man and woman, nursing child, the old man with gray hair, get everyone's attention and call them all back to the true God who will deliver them from these very things. Right. And it's not even
1: just for their sake. Uh, The verses uh, 26 through 28 are are important here, uh, that even just for the sake of the name of the Lord, like, he, he doesn't get to be the God who loses. Uh, and, and it's important that we would recognize this, that there, there's sort of the, the classic, we, we call it the Anselmic model of understanding how God would work, so that, that you know, God bears our sins, and, and so we have this great reversal that we would have have his forgiveness, have his glory, have his honor. But there's also a, a, a Christus Victor model of the atonement. The idea is simply that God, for the sake of being God, cannot allow evil to win, because well, there's not any, there's not anything that's allowed to be bigger than him. So, if we were allowed to ruin God's name, what kind of God would we would He be? But but simply, He says, "Look, I, I can't I can't let you off just because then other nations will will think that I'm not the real God. Let anybody try to think that that uh, that that there is something bigger than me, and I will confront them with this: that Christ conquers evil, and that just happens to work out really well for us. Um, that that that's then a recognition that that there is something bigger out there than just me. Uh, because even the Anselmic model, the, the idea that, that Christ would be crucified for me, a sinner, and if I was the only sinner in the world, he would still bear the cross. It's completely true. But also, it, it calls me out of my own ego to make the world all about me and to make every other sinner just sort of tertiary in the idea that that this is my story playing itself out on stage. But this is God's story, that that he will conquer sin, death, and the power of the devil because he is the one true living, good, and holy Lord. And so if you guys want to work against that plan, no, we're going to have to set things aright right again, because God's name will remain holy. And it's a joy that we get to pray this way, too, when we pray, hallowed be thy name. Uh, And Luther grabs this in the catechism, too. He says, you know, do you really think that you could make God's name not holy? No, God's name is certainly holy in itself. We simply pray in this petition that it would be holy among us also.
0: And no doubt God answers the, our prayer, and that is a good place to take our break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFU. We're looking at Deuteronomy 32 with Pastor Harrison Goodman. We will be right back. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, October 3rd. We're studying in Deuteronomy 32, verses 19 to 38 with Pastor Harrison Goodman. He serves as the content executive for higher things. Pastor Goodman, prior to the break, we left off about in verses 26 through 28, where the Lord is is telling his people, you know, I, I would have gotten rid of you entirely, but I'm not going to do that, because that would allow the enemy to think that maybe it wasn't the Lord who did it, and he will not have that. He does so for the sake of his name. I'm reminded of of the way the Lord speaks in, in Ezekiel, where he talks about redeeming them, and he says, you know, I'm not going to do this because of you. I'm going to do it because of me. He wants his name to be hallowed. You were connecting that to the the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, that you know, God's name is always going to be holy, but we pray that it would be holy among us. How how does that tie into what the Lord is doing here and, and other examples in the scriptures?
1: Well, actually, this the catechism is it's it's like it's a useful book for us. It's a cool habit to be into Imagine to that. check it out. Um, hallowed be thy name. Well, how is God's name kept holy? Well, God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this to your father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this heavenly father. Uh, the idea that God's name is holy no matter what is is true, but wouldn't it be great if it, it was actually a blessing to you that God's name was holy, because of, of, of all the sins that your heart desires of all the evil thoughts that I have ever thought of all the awful deeds that I've ever committed, none of them could make God's name less holy, but that's not going to work out all that well for me. If, if my whole intent is to, to see God's name and, and rule brought to an end, but, but rather protect us from this heavenly father, Teach me your word, teach me to understand truly not only your law, but also your gospel so that I wouldn't find my righteousness in my works, that I wouldn't abandon all hope because I understand the depth of my sin, but that I would hear your word, believe it and live my life as if it were true, not just in terms of, again, following the law, but but in hoping in a gospel, in, in knowing where to take the sins that I should not have, because that I should not have the sin, it's true, I should not have sins, but since I do, where do I put them? And, well, help us to do this, dear Father in heaven, to take my sins to Jesus, to let them be crucified with Christ in my baptism daily, that the new man will daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. It is for our good that God's holy name uh, cannot but be holy. Um, And so when he talks about this, he talks about this, you know, this is this is for my name's sake. And that's good because there we're actually starting with the one thing that cannot be shaken. And we're aligning our, our, aligning ourselves, excuse me, with the thing that is going to win. Um, instead of simply saying, God, you're going to need to unite your will to my will. We pray thy will be done. And then recognize if God's will is good and He is a loving God, then even these things, as, as terrible as they might sound uh, to Moses's catchy tune, they are here to work good f- for me because I want God's name to be hallowed. I want his kingdom to come. I want his will to be done. Mm
0: In verse 28, as the Lord, can, I think the Lord continues to speak in verse 28. He says, they are a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. Is he, is he still talking about Israel as that nation, or is that the enemy nation? What, what do you think?
1: This is still Israel. Um, that, uh, that these are a people, again, who, who have lost the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of all wisdom. Uh, in the same way that you saw Egypt sort of disappear into Israel their, their identity shifts and that the Egyptians who, who followed Israel out into the wilderness away from the Pharaoh and all of his armies, they, they sort of meld into Egypt. Israel has a habit of disappearing into the nations that would take them captive. Uh, they, they over and over again, pray for and seek to, to simply be a part of a really powerful nation. And and well, here comes, here comes the Babylonians. Uh, and they'll, they'll, They'll disappear into that. Their identities will be lost in that. Uh, and, and you see it not only in their behavior as they they sort of uh, learn to revel in vice and, and sin, but, but in their hopelessness that, that comes alongside of it. Because the things that we think will bring us such joy never actually bring us the comfort that we want. It certainly doesn't bring the things of life. Um, and... Again, the the idea to to sort of call them back to wisdom. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. It's to recognize the things that you are chasing will not help. Instead, hear the promises of Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear him him call you to have an identity in him. Because we were not meant to be a nation void of counsel. We were not meant to be apart from understanding. Rather, we are meant to be God's people the ones who have received mercy, and we're to understand this identity that we have in him so that we can live our lives as if mercy were the thing that would give us hope and peace so that Christ, who who would grant it, would be our God
0: what is moses talking about in verse 30 where he speaks about one chasing a thousand and two putting ten thousand to flight and and then that couldn't have happened unless the lord had done it what's he talking about
1: there there's there's a prediction of captivity to come um and and it's it's gonna come uh that again that the lord has this this awful way of disciplining us in that he gives us the things that we ask for um it's it's a thing that that he does in the Old Testament, uh, and you can see it throughout the New Testament, and and even in the lives of Christians today. That sometimes the Lord will let you taste your idols, just so that you understand that that's a bitter pill, and you don't you don't want to keep drinking from that cup. Um, how could Babylonians actually conquer? How, how could? Um, all of these things actually help because you can flip it around and sort of recognize that when the Lord is on our side, we have won great, uh, the, the nation of Israel has won great victories that they never should have won. Um, the, 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 the nation of Israel, as they, they sort of move across the, the, um, the Jordan under Joshua, they're going to win battles that they have no right to win because their rock is Christ. But if that rock were to give us up, then where would our strength be?
0: So, and I think it's it's important to notice there in, in verse thirty, and as you said it very well, that the Lord disciplines us sometimes by giving us what we asked for. That that still is the Lord doing it, and and I think you know we're talking about the glory of God's name, the hallowing of God's name, that He retains you know His holiness no matter what is is very true here. That even as He gives us what we asked for, and that works itself out as it as it would. That's still the Lord at work. He's the one who's done this. And the only way it could have happened is if he had done that. You see that the same holiness of God's name and the glory of his name at play in verse 30. Absolutely. Um, because remember what comes of these captivities, that that under captivity,
1: Israel is brought back to faithfulness. Uh, Israel has sent prophets who, who remind them of the promise of the, of the Lord and the identity that they would have in in him. And not simply as those who have been defeated or, or those who have made bad choices or those who have who have been given up and abandoned.
0: Now, in, in verse 31, we see, I think, what's at the heart of this, the real contrast. Where And this sounds like it's Moses talking, where he says, for their rock is not as our rock. That's the, the key contrast. We're back to the, the contrast between the true God and the no gods. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. This is not a contrast uh, of sinners and moral people, but but faithful and unfaithful people. Um, And and you see it um, in a, a reminder of what happens in Sodom and Gomorrah, that their greatest sin was never homosexuality or any of the other awful atrocities that happened there. Their greatest sin was unfaithfulness. That, that they had utterly abandoned the Lord. Um that, that the whole of the nation, uh the, the nation states there have, have had given up the promises of God and chased after other things. Um throughout the Old Testament, it, it's it's the moral and uh the moral corruption and ungodliness of, of the Israelites uh and not the vices of the heathen that are compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. Which means, uh, because like the Lord's not comparing the, the, the sins of the Babylonians to the sins of the Sodomites, he's comparing the sins of the Israelites to the sins of, of the Sodomites so that they would be called away from the things that lead to death and towards the things that lead to life. This is, this is not simply a, a call to behave, but a call to believe. Remember who you are in Christ. Uh, because if, if you're going to cling to these poisonous vines, you will never get good
0: fruit so i mean and it's not only the the poisonous vines that are there but also the mention of of serpents and the venom of asps you know thinking back to a particularly verse 17 of this song where they sacrificed to demons that were no gods and, and here we're talking about their rock not being as our rock and we're talking about poison and now the the mention of serpents and asps I, i'm I don't know. Maybe this is a, a, a too far of a stretch, but I, I'm I'm recalling Genesis three and the the poisonous serpent there who spoke the poison of a lie against God's word.
1: Absolutely, um, and uh, this this also I, I'm forgetting the the text, but uh, their their lips are as asps. Uh, the Lord says um, of of the the Pharisees, isn't it John the Baptist? I guess who would say that. Um, he calls them
0: brood of vipers,
1: I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that what, what you are then, you're being tools of the devil. You are speaking of, of, of the devil's things. And remember, the devil does not simply say do bad stuff. Uh, the, the devil rather would have you confuse God's law and gospel this is his greatest goal, um, that, that you would find comfort in your works and, and you would find hopelessness in God's presence. Uh, whenever, whenever somebody would, would rightly hear the word of law because they are secure in their sins, the devil would have them hear more law and hear condemnation. And wherever somebody is, is, is contrite uh, in, in their sins and, and utterly fearful of punishment, the devil would have them not hear the gospel, uh, but, but the law. And uh, the other way around as well, whenever we are secure in our sins, the devil would have us hear the gospel. Don't worry; it'll just be fine. Whereas God would have us hear His law. Uh, when we when we sort of have the, the sort of the snakes that talk, the snakes that bite, the snakes that, that speak, um, what you have is a confusion of law and gospel. You you have uh, a people who who are not hearing the law where they ought here to repent of their sins and the promises that they would have hope in that repentance as well.
0: In verse thirty-four, the Lord says, Is not this laid up in store with me sealed up in my treasury? So it sounds like he's got this, you know, the wrath that we've been talking about, the judgment of sin and evil. Sounds like he's got it, it stored up in a treasury, ready to be poured out. And we, we talked about this yesterday that you know we were speaking prophetically. You mentioned the the coming exile already. What what's the Lord got in mind for this? wrath stored up in treasury when's it going to be poured out
1: so uh, you you can sort of see this in the little uh the little answer and the big answer um there, there's the now and the not yet yes we can talk about this in terms of, of the coming captivities uh but ultimately i i think you have to look at those captivities as as the things that they foreshadow which is god pouring out judgment against his son um that that when god would seal his wrath away until the important a time uh we actually get to see that on the cross on the cross god pours out all of the wrath of all of for over all of the sins of all of the world, that the seals are, are broken open, uh, the, the the curtain is ripped in half, uh, that, that we actually get a confrontation with the, the full identity of God, both in terms of his wrath, but also in terms of his love and his mercy. Here we, we get to see what it is when the seal is broken open, uh, so that when we start to, to talk about the seal being broken open, uh, you, you kind of get a Revelation vibe, and it's spoken about that way too. And in Revelation chapter 5, one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. It has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals, that that uh, the Lord would would sort of kick open the, the seal of all of the wrath at the apportioned time, because if he was just gonna pour it out whenever we sinned we would just be sent right to hell. We would be condemned on the spot for our sin, for our apostasy, for our idolatry, for our doubt, for our, all of the awful uh, corruption that, that is inside of all of us in our sin. But instead, he stores that sin away so that that even in, in uh, or he, excuse me, he stores that wrath away so that even that wrath can be used for good.
0: Hmm. And that, that wrath gets poured out on Christ. It's it's striking how you were talking about you know, stored up treasuries the, the language that I know I, I used it and you were using it as well is the language of the the cup you know of being poured out and, and later you know drinking it. but I think it's, it's the same idea mm-hmm. that this wrath that we deserved as sinners, God gives that all to Christ so that we do receive and to stick with the idea of treasures, we receive all the treasures of heaven that like that great exchange is, is really the way we we keep doing this with this text, but we have to hear this text with that great exchange language in mind so that we can hear the the good news behind it so that it's not just all all judgment but we see that judgment poured out on Christ in our place
1: right so this is a confrontation of sort of the ugly side of, of reading the Bible without Jesus but there's there's a lot more sanitized versions too and, and so you can grab sort of all of the New Testament lessons and say you know um, you know do unto others as, as they would do unto you or you could grab the you know the classic parables you know a man saw a, a treasure buried in a field and he gave up all that he had to get it and we can remove Jesus from that parable and make it all about us and it is every bit as ugly as reading these without Jesus too because yes if you read Read these these texts without jesus it sounds kind of scary because god is mad but if you read these with jesus you get to see what he does with that righteous anger you, you get to see that that anger is righteous because look at the, the people we have hurt by our sin look at the things that have gone wrong look at look at it not be other people's part but our fault and then look what he does he, he saves yeah. that wrath to the right time bears it himself and forgives
0: yeah, yeah, and when we recognize that we did deserve that wrath and then we see God pour it out on on his son instead. I mean, what what joy and thanksgiving we have at recognizing just how much his love has done for us to to give those things to Christ instead of us and to receive in Christ the blessings that that did belong to Christ and now he he shares with us. In, in verse 35 of the text, we, we come upon language that may sound familiar. Vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. This is We've heard this before. How's it being used in the context of Deuteronomy 32? Right. This is not usually in the way that we sort of speak about it, because usually when when somebody has
1: to tell you vengeance is mine, says the Lord, it's to kind of... To, to call you to reign yours in that that you, this is not yours to judge this is not yours to punish this is the lord's let him work in his time but but also uh, this gets to be here chiefly a confrontation with the first commandment vengeance is the Lord's and that means fear love and trust the Lord above all things even in the face of vengeance because well, will we go to Hebrews chapter 10 verses 30 and 31 where it says uh, we know him who said vengeance is mine I will repay and again the Lord will judge his people it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God we want vengeance to be the Lord's it, it's terrifying because that means it's out of our control. See, vengeance is mine. Not only do I get to punish the people I don't like because they hurt me, but also I get to not have to ever be worried about it, having uh, it, it be put upon me. If vengeance is mine, I can't be avenged. Uh, but if vengeance is the Lord's, that means if He wants to pour it out on me, it's His to do. Um, but to fear, love and trust in God in the face of this is to recognize I can't control God's vengeance, but also I don't want I don't want to. If I were given control over God's vengeance, that would just mean that uh, a lot of people driving on the highway would get lit on fire because I, I don't like what they're doing. But, but instead, I get a God who, who lovingly grabs hold of this vengeance and, again, pours it out upon Jesus. It, it's a, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God because I have no control over it. But I can also love and trust him while I, I experience this because I know his character when you when you understand who god is what god is doing becomes a whole a whole lot more um confrontable. Um, it, it doesn't get less fearful, but at the same time, it, it gets to be a, a comfort even in the face of this. When you know who God is, I can say, all right, so the God who loves me and has promised never to forsake or abandon, the God who has promised to work all things for the good of those who love him, the God who, who recognizes that, that even though we mean things for evil, he insists on using them for good. This is the God who insists the vengeance be his. And there I can finally pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not that I could stop it because again, your catechism tells you the good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that God's will would be done among us also. And God's will, its it's, it's very clear that you would be called out of death to life, that you would live, that you would receive mercy.
0: Yeah, as you were talking about the the Hebrews 10 passage that brings this idea that vengeance is the Lord's up and, and just you know that is it is a fearful thing to let vengeance be the Lord's. This is probably overused, but I, I do think it's helpful from the Lion The Witch in the Wardrobe, where yeah. you have that conversation about Aslan. You know, is he is he a safe lion? Well, of course he's not safe because he's a lion. But he is good and I, I think maybe it's overused but I think it's helpful and I think it fits this context I don't even think it's overused this is uh this is one of i'm i i, I
1: like a good cliche I don't know um when when it actually points to to what is going on because we have taught this wrong and, and here like we actually need to sort of repent of how we have talked about fearing the Lord as, as, a, as a church before, because we, we sort of minimize it to a healthy respect. You don't have a healthy respect of a lion that roars in your face. You, you curl up into the fetal position and just hope that the lion isn't hungry. Um, here, I need to know the character of God. He's not a tame lion, but he is a good lion.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think again. I think it fits here. Maybe, maybe, maybe I use it too much. But yeah, it's. I think it's. It's a great illustration, and I think it certainly fits here. Now, in in verse thirty six, this is. We we were talking a little bit before we started recording that the this song from Deuteronomy thirty two does show up in our hymnal, but it does skip over several of the verses, almost all the verses that we've been talking about today, except for the first part of verse thirty six. Yeah. Verse thirty six a does show up, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants, which, oh, that Time sounds, sounds great. Good. That's Let's a go. good yep. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great, but how does, I mean, how does that, what I think is pretty clear good news, how does that fit into the context of every, everything we've been talking about?
1: you got to read the rest of the verse, too. When he sees yeah. that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which he took refuge? I, I love when God just sort of makes fun of things. Um, you, you sort of get a, that, that whole Ezekiel uh, mocking the False or not? Excuse me, Elijah mocking the false prophets of Baal uh, while they're trying their very, very best, and 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 the prophet would say, "You know, is your God using the toilet? Like, what's going on here, guys? I, I I'm confused." You you talk a big game. Uh, God is 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 laughing uh, because this is actually a joy to him. Not that people would hurt, but that the things that cannot save are shown to be powerless, and the people ultimately. Are brought back in faith towards the one thing that can save them god can actually only help the righteous to justice by punishing and destroying the wicked that are trying to pull them away uh this is this uh this is the judging that that becomes a compassion um that that you actually get to sort of say you know what i i don't want the things that are going to break my beloved around them i want i want that far away from them israel is is god's nation um the lord has actually judged it here in such a manner so as not to destroy it but to discipline it for its sins to have compassion upon his servants when he saw that their strength was gone and this this becomes again the dist- the difference between a, a discipline and a, a, a wrath uh, that that just simply exists to consume um if if once our strength was gone and we were utterly defeated the lord left us and laughed at us then that would be what we deserve but his character actually is such that that he loves us so much that instead he'll laugh at our gods that are, are destroyed, our gods that are consumed, and he'll call us back out of death and into life. Uh, this this now becomes a, a call to repentance, and and repentance has two parts. You need both of them. Repentance has contrition and hope. Uh, if there is no hope, you cannot simply "I'm sorry" your way into heaven. And if all you have is is sort of an utter terror of God, you run and hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve. And if if repentance has no contrition, all you do is you run further into the things of death while singing the name of the Lord as if it won't actually destroy you. But repentance has contrition and hope. When you hear God's law, it produces in you contrition. When you hear God's gospel, it produces in you hope. And here we actually have that that beginning of the verse that is in our hymn, as sort of a summary of all of these things, it's it's what happens when you read even the Old Testament with Jesus in there. The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When you actually recognize who those servants are, it becomes, it becomes more impressive. These are the servants that abandoned him. These are the servants that cursed his name, that, that chased after the false gods, the no gods, the vapor gods, and still he has compassion on them.
0: Yeah, and that is, that is fantastic good news, even in the context, and especially in the context of our portion of Moses' song today. We have about two minutes left on the morning, Pastor Goodman. Help us to, to wrap things up. And again, to see to see Christ in the midst of a a, a joyful tune, no doubt, sometimes a wrathful sounding text. Help us to see Christ.
1: Uh, we, we start just with the recognition. Again, the Bible is about Jesus. And, and if we're going to start with the Bible being about Jesus, and you know the character of Jesus, he is the one who died that you would live, it's a good thing that we try to hang on to the things that that live that we would die. God ripping away our idols is a gift. When, when we chase after the things that cannot save, because we think they have strength in this world, we will die. And so when he takes them, he pries them out of our grasp. It's a good thing. It's not to leave us with nothing, but it's, it's to leave our hands open that we would receive him.
0: Pastor Harrison Goodman serves as the content executive for the Lutheran youth organization Higher Things helping us today with Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 19 to 38. Pastor Goodman, thanks for being our guest today. It was a privilege, thank you. The Lord speaks with very strong language in this text. The wrath that his people's idolatry deserved comes through loud and clear. The wrath that our idolatry deserves... Comes through loud and clear. And yet the Lord would speak to us concerning those idols, which are no gods at all and cannot help, so that He might draw us to repentance and ultimately bring us to saving faith in Him, in His Son, who is our true God, the one who can save us and does save us. Christ has saved us by His death and resurrection for us. That great exchange has taken place. The wrath of God has been poured out on the Savior Jesus Christ, so that in Him we receive eternal blessings. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Deuteronomy or in advance of our upcoming study on the book of Joshua, please send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. You can also use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. It is always a great joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.